So we're going to be today in the book of 1 John again, and we're going to be centering down on three verses. Verse 15, 16, 17 of chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the, the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. On the screen, we're going to put up something that everyone in Surprise knows about, everybody in Phoenix. It's a traffic light. And you've got red, you've got yellow, and you've got green. And for a little bit today, as we're teaching through these three verses, I want us to get a lesson here. The Word of God is like this. There are places that God will just put up a red light. Stop. If you keep going down that road, there's going to be something major happen. It's just like you go through that red light. You might make it the first time. You might make it the second. But sometimes someone is going to get hurt. The yellow is that flashing warning caution. Get ready to stop, or maybe for some of us, speed up and see if you can make it on through. <laughs> We've all been there on some level. Sometimes it just increases the blood pressure a little bit. Other times you'll see the green, and the green is saying, go, give it all you got. And really, when you look at the Word of God, the Word of God is like this also. When we consider God's Word, oftentimes God is giving us a green light. Walk by faith. Be strong in the Lord. Live for Jesus. Be bold in Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's the green. Then sometimes there's this yellow. Walk circumspectly. Not like a fool, redeeming the time. Be discerning of where you're out. Recognize the dangers that are around you. Walk a path that you do not get caught in the snare, whatever that is. And then sometimes in the word of God, there is just a red light. No, don't go there. If you go there, it, you will not be blessed. If you keep going there, something is going to happen. And when John takes us here this morning, he starts with a red light. If you look, it is so clear. Sometimes the word is so explicitly clear. There is no main reason to say, well, I really wonder what John meant in the context. Look at this with me in verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Now John is saying the world is off limits, but sometimes we say, yes, but I love the mountains. I love the ocean. I love, oh wow, this morning I was sitting outside studying. I just got, I don't know if any of you are looking off to the west, but it was so beautiful when the sunlight come over the top of those hills and it just burst with the clouds and the, the rays were shooting up in the air in the most gorgeous way. And John Holdit says, don't love the world. He's not speaking about that. If you notice with me, he goes a little further. The brush goes out as he goes, he defines the world. And we're going to look at this for a while. We'll look at some red lights. We'll end with some green lights. 
But in the beginning of the message, John just simply says, there's something on li- off limits. It's called the world. Don't love it. Nor the things that are in the world. Notice the plurality of John's expression. Not just the world, but all of those things, those little things that are in the world. And this is where John opens up and he gives us, he opens up with a word that we want to simply look at called cosmos. Sometimes when we look at the world, we say, well, there's the external that he's speaking about. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't have this. We don't go here. We don't. And we pretty soon the world becomes 10 don'ts. But John is speaking much deeper than 10 don'ts. Yes, the world has outward but also the world has inward. And when John is writing of the cosmos, it is a system. Forces that are driving within a system. Some are seen. Some are not seen. Some can be totally pinpointed. Other ones we feel and sense the effect of that. It is a system. It can be a system of government, of philosophy, It's a way even to do business. It is a way to get what you want when it's all over. And John says, look out, don't go there. Don't go there. He says, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. When we look at this, we're going to see something that is so true about the world, this cosmos we live in, and that is there is this struggle that is going on around us that we can't even see. I mean, when I was a young guy, I read a couple books by Frank Beretti, Peretti, and the, book, the books was Piercing the Darkness and This Present Darkness. And it made me aware of something that is so real, and that is that there are all kinds of powers um, among us, all around us, among us. It's, it's very close. And John says, look out, don't go there. Because it's dangerous, it's the red light of the gospel. It's the place that says, and everyone here has those red lights. There's places we know that God is saying this. The world could be like a magnet oftentimes. If you know what a magnet is, uh, when I was a little guy, I used to sit with my parents in church, and I remember there was a period of time that dad and mom gave me these two little dogs, these two little magnetic dogs, and what kept me occupied in church was these little dogs. And I, could, I learned I could reverse the magnet and push the dog along the bench, and we had a hard bench, or I could take the magnets, and I, I could see how close I could get those two dogs, and all of a sudden, just like that, they'd come together. The world is like a magnet. It has a pull that oftentimes we may not first see. The world could be defined like bright lights, beautiful bright lights, glittering, uh, that which just uh, causes us to have like that deer in the headlights stare. And when John is saying, don't love the world, he's speaking about all of these different things. The world can look very, very beautiful. You know, the word of God even says in 2 Corinthians eleven four that no wonder because Satan himself was transformed into an angel of light. He comes in all kinds of ways, but oftentimes when he comes, he looks really, really beautiful. 
And John is simply saying, I've got to go here with you. You remember what John, one of John's great burdens in the writing was that we would find fellowship with the Father, that we would find a relationship with the Lord God that would be so precious and it would be so powerful. But all of a sudden he says, I've got to present something that's a deterrent to this. It will get in your way. You'll stumble over it in a lot of ways. And he says, don't love the world nor the things that are in the world. You know, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't there. You know how beautiful some of these cactus are out here by being Arizonians, you know, but I wonder how many of you have ever walked up to that beautiful cactus and gave it a hug. <laughs> you learn somewhere probably with a little touch, that's pretty sharp. This is what the world, the Lord is saying. It beckons you. It looks bright. It's the cosmos, this beautiful thing we call the world, looks really pretty. But John says, don't love it. Keep it off limits because it's very, very dangerous. You say, where is the world? It's seen. It's not seen. You know, one thing we say, but Jesus was in the world. And Jesus even said it like this in his prayer to the Father in the intercessory prayer. He says, God, I want you to not take them out of the world, but I do want you to keep them from the evil that's there because there's a lot of evil. The place, it can be where we go. It's how we think. It's what we do. It's the internal. It's the external. It comes all kinds of ways. But someone comes back and you say, but Jesus, didn't he love the world? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus loved the sinner. But Jesus was crushed by the sin. He loved the sinner, but the sin was not what Jesus loved. He hated the sin. Because he knew that sin would drive the people from him. Sin would keep them from receiving him as Lord and Savior. Sin would keep them from finding that beautiful fellowship in Jesus Christ that is so important. But Jesus loved the world, but he didn't love the sin. And when John is writing here, hold it, he's saying, here's the red light. Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. I'll let the Holy Spirit bring those things to you today. And then notice how far he goes with this. Okay, if anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here John just simply says, if this is where we're at, we don't have the love of God. It's really clear. It isn't like, well, Lord, could we do a little more study and see if there's something else? It's really amazingly clear. But the world's amazingly subtle. Uh, the world as we live in it is always dangling. It's kind of like that little net, that little trap, that little thing that comes out there. It's dangling for us. Bite the bait. It's like the fisherman. The enemy puts on the great bait, bite the bait, just one time, it'll be okay. You know, a few months ago, I was privileged to catch up with an old friend that I hadn't visited with for many years, and he's in ministry, and we were talking, and I just asked him, I said, how has God spoken to you the last many years, uh, just in ministry? And there's something amazing about the brother. 
I can remember some debates that I watched where I just kind of sat there as a third person and I always watched this guy win. He was a great debater. And he said, you know what God has spoken to me about is don't debate like I did before. And I said, why? He said, because the flesh takes over in my life and God doesn't get the glory. What he he was saying is, John, I'm telling you that I, I start loving the world through those things called debate. I win, but really God doesn't win. And there's so many ways the world is there as John is writing to us here. Ephesians 6 and 12 Paul writing about spiritual warfare, ending the book of Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, sometimes the first thought we have is hold it, our our, our Our battle is against flesh and blood. But Paul calls us out here and says, no, let's get this. Our struggle isn't. It's not against my brother. It's not even against Iran or it's not against China. It's not against Russia. It's not against North Korea. The struggle is against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a lot of darkness out there. John is acknowledging this as he enters into the the writing where he is today and into the area that we are teaching through today. And it's so clear, if anyone loves the world, he says, the love of the Father just isn't there. James 4 and 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world is and makes himself an enemy of God. And here James is just simply saying, you see how strong the line is? Now remember, we're seeing the red light. It's something we have to see. If we say, I want to read the word and miss the red lights, we're going to have a crash. Someplace every one of us must be checked and challenged in our spiritual lives. Hold it, stop. Right there it is, stop. Make a decision for God. Some people might be able to. I can't. Somebody might be, it may be fine. I can't. And here he is simply saying there so clearly to us and James that when we are a friend of the world, we are actually in direct hostility toward God. You know, sometimes we think, well, guys, just uh, maybe two people are in a war, a fight, or whatever. And maybe the real battle isn't between those two people. Maybe the real battle is we're battling against God. James seems to identify it this way. I think sometimes um, you have probably been there with me. I've had this time. I remember one time studying the word of God and I thought, wouldn't that be something? If we as believers could just find this little island and all be together on this island and just worship God and hang out till Jesus comes. And all of a sudden we come back to this. And I can remember one time a brother looking at me and I was kind of sharing it, you know, just kind of tossing around like guys would do. And it's what would be there. The world would be there too because you're there. James says don't love the world. 
You know, I've heard, I've heard different times because we've went on the mission field, people said, I just wish we could have it like the Chinese here. They suffer for their faith and so they're alive and they're living for Jesus. They don't have all the extra money that bring temptations and all the innovations. The world's still there. You'll still see it. God took us one time down in the southern, most southern portion of China on the island of Hainan. And there it was. They would not tell us why they were taking us to this place. But finally they said there's two churches that are locked and struggle. And they can't get along because the pastors can't get along. And we're going to ask you to go in there and teach the word of God and see if by God's grace they could come back together. And I remember as soon as I get that, they don't tell you for a while. I said, well, how much, what's the average income of this area? And they said, there's, it's $25 a month per family. They have nothing. They're Christians, but they're locked in conflict. And here it was, two pastors that could not get along that was hurting all of their churches around there. And when we got together for a meeting in an afternoon, you could cram everybody in, a, in, a, in, in the rows. They sit a lot closer, a lot smaller than us, but about a third of this building would have picked up everybody that was being affected. But what had happened is the enemy had got his foot in the door. Now the real cool thing at the end of that day was Deb and I was available to pray with these, these believers and God worked so amazingly. We'd taken the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12 and taught through it and God opened this door that these believers just began to pour out their hearts in confession and saying, I'm part of the problem too. And it was so cool to watch God work that way. And they're saying, I could have been a part of a solution and yet I was a part of a problem. But the world is amazing because as, as John is writing this and he speaks of this, he's speaking of the, this ditch, we could call it, this is the world ditch. John says, don't go in. It's like driving down the road. You know what's going to happen if you take your car and let go of your steering wheel even. Uh, there needs to be directive and purpose in the Christian walk. Sometimes we say, well, I'm just going to cruise uh, in cruise control while, and let go of the wheel. And what's going to happen? That car's heading for the ditch. But you know, there's another side of that little story too. In most, most roads, if you look a little ways, there will be another ditch. And sometimes a reaction to that ditch throws us in the other ditch. And without knowing it, one error begots two. And we fall into a trap on the other side. And John just looks and he says, hold it. I want you to be alert, be alive, recognize the red lights. Don't love the world nor the things of the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't there. Then Jesus opens up in, verses, in verse 16 and begins to describe, well, what is this world? Let's go a little deeper and see what the Lord is saying here through John the Revelator, the Apostle. For all that is in the world, notice how big that is. He's saying everything that I'm talking about, about the world, and then he says, here it is, the lust of the flesh. We could call that passion. The lust of the eyes. We could call that possessions. And the pride of life, we could call that position, is not of the Father, but is from the world. 
John says, look out. It's outward, it's inward. It's what you may first see, and it may be what you don't see. And as he begins and he says, the lust of the flesh, we, we often think, I think of young men, young women, that early phase of temptation to moral infidelity, the way the enemy throws that, that little bait out there, just it's okay. And the word of God calls that the lust of the flesh. It can be even, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to show my macho image. I will beat those other guys. I will show that I'm the greatest. And the word of God would call that the lust of the flesh. You know what's interesting? And I want to read this very quickly, but to get the message of Luke chapter 4, verses 3 through 12, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, and the enemy came and he gave him everything he had. He hit him with all barrels. He was going to knock the king of kings and lord of lords off of his ministry if he could. And when he came, he went hard. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, questioning his, his lordship, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. <clears throat> and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. Lie. He comes with untruth, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Lie. Therefore, if you will worship me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. One Lord, one faith. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, bringing him up higher and said to him, you, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He used the word. He dropped the word out there as a tempting, dangling thing. But notice what Jesus did. He uses the word as he responds to verse 12. Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see what he did there? I'm God. I'm not just a man. You shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. But the many ways in which the, the enemy comes are, are like a trap. I don't know if we have any trappers here this morning or not. Any of you that may have trapped, even up in, in the northern part of our countries. But a trap is to be camouflaged. It's to be laid down in a place that's not suspected. Its goal is to catch its prey. The enemy comes the same way. And that's why John was so clear when he said, don't love it. And don't love those things. Because if you do, the love of the Father will not be in there. And then he comes to us, all that's in the world. And again, we see the broad scope of that, the lust of the flesh and then here comes the next one, the lust of the eyes. And here again, we see this area where eyes look on something they want. Hearts turn towards something they want. We see it through the Bible. We see it in our lives, in human history. But there's this lust of the eyes, this thirst for power, pomp, and position. You know, this this. It comes in so many ways in so many places. 
But in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, we want to read this. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. I don't know what you get out of that entirely. It's saying, look out, Sodom fell, Sodom burned. They had everything in one way, but ease, comfort, blessing. But there's one thing we can overlook in this little message, and that is that they did not reach their hand out to the poor. Some of you here have been blessed beyond words. God has opened his hand of blessing and given you much. Now God says, what will you do with my blessing? If you hold it back, this becomes the heir of Sodom. If you hold it back, God will not be blessed. And here as we look at this, he's speaking about this this. this Lust of the eyes, the idolatry of this, the lust of the flesh is what we're going to look at, we're looking at here. And maybe you, you've all dealt with this, most of you in, in the business world I lived in for many years. Many salesmen would travel to our office to talk or we'd meet them at a restaurant. We'd meet them even on, at some resort and they'd have the presentation. But one of the things I noticed that was common, not all of them had this intention, but most of them did. They, they learn, a good salesman studies who you are. So you know what happened with me most of the time? Hey, John, tell us about your church. Okay. And your family. And we want to la- ask you last about missions. They already knew. Now what they were doing, they were setting you up for the sale. Now I would say we, we were blessed to work with some men for many, many years and women that did not do that. They, had, they really, truly loved. When one of our children were suffering, one calls yesterday, how's your son? Haven't seen him for 10 years. The ministries that God can put in the middle of handling God's resources to his glory are unspeakable. But the word of God just simply says, uh, this, this way of setting up, the enemy can do it. The lust of the eyes He'll set us up. He'll try to exalt. He'll come to one of you that are doing a great job and he'll say, you're really doing well in your job. And there comes that little setup often. It's an amazing thing. But if we look at this a little further, it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the last area here. And it may just catch the last part of life big. I give this for you to think about. It may come at the end of life bigger. The pride of life. Here we, we speak about, we've spoke about passions and possessions. Now we're looking at positions. Maybe we're looking at power and prestige, influence, connections. And the word of God says the pride of life. And it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. The boastful, and notice in the Word of God, and the boastful pride of life is not from the world, Father, but from the world. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, referring to 
the enemy, the devil, even Satan, Lucifer, this is what he said. He said, I will ascend above the clouds of the skies. I will make myself like the most high. And the answer, the judgment of God to the prophet Isaiah is, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, that's hell, to the recesses of the pit. And here it was, maybe the great example we have is Lucifer himself, called by many translations and definitions, the son of the morning. And he says, I'm going to be everything I want to be. And one of the great temptations of the human heart is to be our own God. It comes in every way. It comes in churches. It comes in the most outwardly looking good places. But John is summarizing this and he says, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And we've been looking at these, we've been looking at these red lights. Red light one, don't love the world, big, big. And then we break it down. The lust of flesh, red light. The lust of the eye, red light. The pride of life, red light. Look out. What he's saying is, I've got to check you, my children. Or you'll go into a place that will be dangerous spiritually. It will not bless somewhere, and you think about going through the red lights, how many times you can get through there. You can think of a common red light. Maybe I come down here in Greenway and I say, I'm going to go to 303 and I'm not going to stop at that red light that crosses a quarter mile from the church to the west. I'm going home. I might make it 10 times. I might make it 30 times. But guaranteed, there will come a time I won't make it. And that's why the red light's there. And that's why the word of God is like this also. But as we go on, John begins to open up something that I love because as the word of God does, he begins to say, I'm going to give you some green lights to leave. And I I just want us to take these and see these and follow God in this way as God begins to open up the word. He shows us the red. And you know how it is. You sit there and you're counting. I don't know how many times. Uh, you've counted the seconds with me as you're sitting there. Does this, does this red light have a second counter? I've got 15, 14, 13. Or maybe you've been like me. I sat yesterday at a red light, but no one was coming, and the car in front of us was going to make a right-hand turn. And I was on my motorbike. I'd come down here and had a, a breakfast with the brother, and I was on my way home, and he just sat there. Or she sat there. I don't know. They were reading, and, and there was no one coming, and I needed to go right. And so I finally did what I really shouldn't have done. <laughs> I took the bike and went around the person sitting in the red light, and I made a right-hand turn. And I don't even know if they knew it. I, I don't even know if they moved. They were still there looking. Red lights get in our way. Red lights are necessary. But John ends this today, and I want us to get this because we need this, because in the middle of red lights, our, our patience is being tested. The trial of our faith is coming. It's coming a lot of ways. And John then says the world is passing away, and also it's lust. And I love that, because what John is saying is take this home with you today. The testing will eventually be over. Some of you out here are in some major places of struggle right now. One of you are sharing as we walk in the door. Now the word of God here says, the world is passing away and the lust thereof. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get over. 
It can be gotten over in so many ways. I, I go back to Luke, the next verse after what we read, it says, when the devil had finished all this temptation, he departed, he left. I don't know how many of you have found that afterward is such a joyous, peaceful place. I can remember one time we were in Washington State in the middle of great trial and ministry, and I, I forgot what all they were, but here's what happened. I remember walking outside our house where we lived and telling Debbie I've heard the birds for the first time in months. They were always there. I just couldn't hear them singing. The world passes away and the lust thereof. You know, the word of God says in Revelation, when we think of passing away, there will come a time in 22 and 3, there won't be any longer any curse. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking for a day that there is no more temptation whatsoever. I don't see heaven with any red lights. I don't even see cautions. What I see in heaven is green. You are a child of God. Give it your heart. I couldn't wait to pour out my love upon you. I want you as my child. I want to watch you grow and glow for Jesus. And there it was in John, it is in John when he writes this, there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. But we're here. And the word of God says this, this time the world is passing away in all of its lusts. But here is a verse that I just give us to claim. Just say, Lord, in the middle of the red lights, the places of trials of my faith, the places you're stretching me, claim the verse right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. God's already still there. He's got his eye on you. In the middle of that, God is showing you, there's the escape. I don't think it was that the escape was me going around that car and hanging it right, frankly, so let's get that right. I'm still confessing to you. But here, here it is. He, he will make a way of escape. The world is going to pass away and the lust thereof. One more verse, and, and because some of you are in a place today, even physically, that you're going, or maybe in an emotional, spiritual situation, that we're saying, hold it, but this is really tough. I'm not hearing the birds either. Paul understood that 2 Corinthians 4, 7, for momentarily light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And he says, right, everything we're going through right now, as heavy as it might be, when we get there, it's nothing. There's no comparison to what God has over there. It, there is no comparison whatsoever. And I believe when John is saying the world's passing away, everything the enemy throws at you, it's not going to be there long. He will throw it. He will try. He will try to overcome his church, his people. You know, I, I walked at a church a week or two ago, and one of the brothers says, brother, the enemy's got a front target on you and a back target on you. Well, guess what? He's got it on all of us. He would love to take us down. But by Jesus Christ, we overcome. And the world is going to pass away 
and all of his lust, but he that does the will of the Father will abide forever. And I want, us to, I want to conclude with that verse because uh, not only does it say the world's going to pass away and also it's his lust, but in verse 17, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. If you're looking for a green light this morning, see God's will. If you're looking for a green light, pray, God, help me to do your will. Just give me the desire and power to do your will. I don't want anything less than that, but I don't want anything else than that. It says, the person who does the will of the Father will abide forever. What is beautiful, no matter where the red lights are, we see them through the Bible. We'll see God. God has put up many red lights in my life and just said, stop. He's done it last month. Stop. You don't move one bit until you come back to me. Stop. But if we stop and we look, God begins to show us a green light. It's the will of the Father. Love. Be kind. Pray. Forgive. Go. Serve. Go the second mile. Whatever God is saying. But John is ending our little message today and saying the one who does this Father's will will abide forever. And I love that because all through the word of God, you'll find this, that even though we'll run into a red light, we might wait a long time at the red light. It might be like some of the ones we've came to him and said, wow, this is way longer than I thought. But as we're waiting, there's still a privilege for God's children. Do his will. What's his will at the red light? Maybe it's to pray for the person beside me. Maybe it's to pray for someone I didn't have time to pray for today because my life was too busy in my own devotional time. But here he says, he that does the will of the Father abides forever. Today is the time we take up communion. Communion is so, it's so tangibly representative, represented to us of the tremendous work that Jesus has done for us. And Jesus knew that we needed to touch these emblems to remember these truths. This is why he gave them to us. Just to touch these emblems to remember these truths. And as we enter into this, I want us to end with this last verse though. Lord, yes, I, I've been at red lights, I've been at yellow lights, but I'm going to do your will. And today, one of the great, the will of the Father is that we follow him, but also that we touch these emblems to remember the truths. They aren't life-giving. They simply point to the true life. The, life, the light that lights every man that comes in the world. And as our ushers are coming out to distribute them, let's just all together bow in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the amazing ways, Father, that you take us to places in our life that, that you show us your red light. You show us the, the definite teaching of the word of God, the clarity of the message for us. You, you stopped us, Lord. You have checked us. You have chastised us at those times. You have brought us down to a place that we knew we were nothing apart from you. And yet, Lord, then you have came to us as a father and friend 
and says, now get up and walk according to the vocation you've been called. Walk in the spirit, fulfilling the desire and will of the Father. And Lord, that's what we desire today is to do and delight in your will, even as we do find ourselves shortly partaking of these emblems. Oh, I think of David when he says, I I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is my delight. Lord, this is our delight. We want to follow you until death. We want to follow you to the place that you call us home. And if you come for us as your church, your bride, Lord, we want to be in your will at that time. Looking to you, following you, waiting upon you at times, and yet going as you say go in your direction. Have your way, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.